Hey, it's Sarah reminding you to check out NBA Today, hosted by Malika Andrews, Monday to Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. That's NBA Today at 3 Eastern, noon Pacific on ESPN and the ESPN app. One app, one tap, and also available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. I am Robin Rachel, and my dilemma is what should be my 2022 New Year's resolution? Well, okay. So obviously, resolutions are very personal, um, and it already feels like you're approaching life and the unknown with the perfect mix of, of gratitude and attention to the present. So you don't really need my advice on attitude or perspective just in general, but I did read something the other day that might help um, all of us who maybe have the same resolutions every year and never can quite push through to make the change we want, whether that's waking up earlier, working out more, eating healthier, procrastinating less, quitting smoking, all that stuff. Um, It's great to attack the problem head on, which is probably what we've all been trying to do. But if you're not making headway year after year with the same resolution, maybe consider this. I saw it from therapist Tori Aletto, who runs the Instagram NY Therapist. And someone shared this in their story the other day, and it really stood out to me. Quote, people always ask me, how do I change something I know is unhealthy for me? And my response is by understanding why you are choosing it in the first place. Okay, one more time. People always ask me, how do I change something I know is unhealthy for me? And my response is by understanding why you are choosing it in the first place. It sounds super simple, right? But I think maybe a good resolution or intention is the word I like to use uh, for you and for all of us is to figure out our why before we try to change our behavior. So whatever it is that you failed to change or quit or start year after year, maybe this year resolve to very honestly ask yourself and answer Why do you keep choosing it if it's something you want to change? That's what she said. Hey, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the between Christmas and New Year's sort of chill time or maybe party time, depending on how you roll. Uh, I always like the idea of going somewhere tropical and magical like Bali or Costa Rica to welcome in a New Year. And in fact, the last two years, of course, I have actually put in my calendar sometime around July to book the trip so I don't get caught up in all the holiday stuff and Christmas stuff and then realize, oh, man, I forgot to plan New Year's again. But as we all know, the last two years have been a little weird. Um, And it's probably a good thing I didn't get my shit together to book it this year because international travel seems pretty tough once again uh, with Omicron. And while I'm always like, let's get away, let's go somewhere awesome, let's ring in the new year on a beach somewhere, uh, my husband likes the days between Christmas and New Year's when the streets are sort of relatively quiet, lots of folks are out of town. Um, For me, feels a little too pandemic-y after 2020. I don't need any more empty streets and people that don't seem to be out and about. But whatever way you like it, I hope your Christmas was great. I hope your holiday was great. I hope you've got safe and fun plans for New Year's. Um, And when New Year's is almost here, we inevitably all start thinking about those resolutions and intentions, uh, thinking about what the next year will hold. So today's guest is someone who's had to balance realistically looking ahead to the future for very good reasons, while understanding how important it is for her to be rooted firmly in the present, appreciating today and tomorrow And every single day, she gets to live as normal a life as possible. Uh, My friend Robin has an incredible story to tell. And when you listen, 
you'll really never believe that this was her first podcast or first interview of any kind about her diagnosis, her travels, and what she's learned over the last few years about gratitude and living in the moment. She is amazing. You will never guess this is the first interview. Um, I hope you listen. I hope you learn. I hope you consider your own future and present as the new year approaches. And stick around, because after the interview with Robin, a Spanish Inquisition with special guest Hall of Famer Kurt Warner, who's got a really good holiday feels movie coming out on Christmas. So make sure to stick around for that. Okay, here's my conversation with my friend Robin Rachel, aka Silver Lining Explorer on Instagram and SilverLiningExplorer.com. She's a photographer, a wife, a mom, and a badass human who is teaching us all how to do it right. That's what she said. So today's guest is a friend of mine who has a fascinating, heartbreaking, lesson teaching story of life. And we've talked about it personally, although it's been a little while since I've gotten the details and how things are going. So I'm excited to have her on. And I thought she'd be the perfect guest uh, as we start a new year when we're all being extra introspective and extra thoughtful about um, what we want to accomplish in our lives, how we want to um, interact with the world around us, and the choices that we make every single day that ultimately make up how we live our lives. And uh, she's had to make a lot of choices in the last few years um, after being dealt a hand that she didn't expect. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's start with just who Robin Rachel is. Tell us where you grew up and what kind of kid you were. <laughs> I grew up in the north suburbs of Chicago, um, not too far off from you, Sarah. I grew up in Northbrook. Um, I was a very shy, very tall, awkward child. Um, <laughs> I did play a lot of sports, which obviously being six feet tall, basketball was in the cards for me. Um, and I grew up with a, a mother who was a travel agent and in that industry. So I just from a young age always had a passion for travel and visiting other places and countries. What are some of the places you went as a kid? Uh, as a kid, I went to Mexico a lot. We went to a lot of the Caribbean islands. I did a couple trips to Europe when I was younger, but I would say more, my parents were always warm weather people. So it was a lot of Florida, Mexico. We never spent time like in Colorado or any, any skiing, anything. They were like, if we're going to go somewhere, we're going someplace warm. So it was always someplace that had lots of sun and good weather. That's not too bad. That sounds pretty good. So um, you're interested in sports. You're kind of shy. And in high school, you discover photography. Tell me about the first time you, you really got into it. So I took a class in high school. I learned on a black and white film camera developing my own pictures, which I feel like makes me sound like I'm a million years old because that is so antiquated. But so kids, it is a thing called a darkroom. Well, first, wait, let's start more simple. There's a thing called a camera yeah. and it's separate from your phone. <laughs> and you have to put film inside yeah, of it and film. shut it very quickly. Yes. <laughs> Um, so I, I took classes in high school. I fell in love with it. Um, I had, my uncle is the sweetest human being on earth. And he told me when I would show him his images, he's like, this is your gift. This is what you are meant to do. And I thought he was crazy because who's a photographer? Like, how do you even become a photographer? How do you make a living being a photographer? But he just from like such a young age believed in me and saw something in that for me. And, um, yeah, I just, it's, it was such an inspiration to just kind of push me through that. 
Yeah. Okay. So you're you're doing it in a way that's standard for someone who's who's really into it, but it's still in high school, right? It's just a part of what you do and the things that you're into. Um, did you after high school decide, oh, I'm going to go to college and study this? I'm going to go to work doing it right away. What was the what was the path next? So I did take a couple classes in college. Again, it was more of a hobby. It was something I enjoyed doing, but I just like could not get it in my brain that this was something that I could actually pursue as a career. So I had a totally, my major was media studies, minor, double minors in Spanish and marketing. So nothing even closely related to photography. And then after college, I moved to Los Angeles. And when I was in LA, all my friends were models and actors, and that was not anything that I wanted a part of. But they would come and show me, like, these are my new headshots. These are my new comp cards. And they would tell me the amount of money that they spent on those (laughs) images. And I was like, oh my God, I can do this. Like, I can do this just as good as these other photographers. And so I went, I saved up and I bought my first um, digital camera and I just started practicing. Like I started practicing on anyone that would let me take their picture, essentially. That's how I I got my first headshots. A friend of a friend who (laughs) needed to practice. I'm like, I'm broke. Let's do it. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And so I just, I was on like model mayhem back in the day, just trying to get people so I could learn the art of photography, how to actually shoot a camera, what to like give people direction, how to build confidence on the other side of the camera and just make everybody feel super comfortable in front of my camera. And so I just, I kept, you know, I, in football, they use a term, like you fight for every inch. That's what I feel like I did for my career. Like I really had to get scrappy and fight for every inch to make photography an actual career for myself. But, um, you know, I worked, I worked really hard in LA and it just never really took off for me. And in 2009, wait, hold on before you leave, let's go back. Okay. So, um, first of all, I love that you, you said right off the top, how important it is that, um, you develop sort of like bedside manner because it's, it's great to have a great eye and composition and all of that. And and that it works, especially with landscapes. But when you're working with people, it's not just what the photo is. It's how you get them to be themselves and relax and all that, which is such a big part of the job. So you're, you're, you're practicing all of that and learning. Uh, What are you doing for work at the time? Like to make money? So I was doing marketing and PR. So I had a full-time job. Um, so And that's what you I, moved to LA for? Or was there a friend there? What no, drew I you just, to LA? I moved to LA to have a good time. Honestly, like I had just <laughs> good. graduated good. College, How'd that so go? Like, Did it work out? Yeah. It was like <laughs> some of the best years of my life. I mean, Sarah used to come to a bar that I worked at, Q's, early that on. That was my spot. Yep. Yes. And so like my first I don't know, two years, I just was a cocktail waitress. And I just like, I had fun. Like, I feel like you, you can graduate college and take a little time off and just like live life and have a good time. And then I gradually got into marketing. My first marketing job was with Anheuser-Busch. And then I had a national grassroots position with Naked Juice. And then I went on to um, do marketing and PR for Whole Foods. Nice. All all yeah. great brands. All yeah. brands that I support. Yeah. No, um, awesome. So w- remind me again when, when you moved to LA? I moved to LA in two, 2004. Okay. Yeah. We were there almost all the same years, but we yeah. didn't really hang out 
till we both had moved back to Chicago, which Correct. is kind of funny. Even yeah. though we were in the same places with a lot of the same friends, uh, we never really uh, hung out until you moved back to Chicago, which was 2009. Yes. Like okay, at the so very end about of 2009. That. So that's when kind of the economy tanked. My husband, so my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. Who you met in LA. No, I met him in Chicago. What? Yes. How do I not know this? Yeah, this is actually a fun story. I was obviously living in LA at the time. I came home for like two months one summer because Sarah, you know, like Chicago summers are the best. Yes. And I had a cocktailing job at Cactus, which like Cactus Melvin B's, which Mm -hmm. now is where the Viceroy is. And I Another one of my hotspots. You and I were just always in the same places. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I came home and I was like, I'm not like, I'm here to have fun. I just want to see my friends, my family. Like I'm not dating anyone. I don't want to even talk to boys. And like the first week, TJ, my husband came and sat down at my table and I gave him like shit about not drinking his drink fast enough or something like that. And he gave it right back to me. And I walked to the back and I said to my friend, Alex, I was like, I think I have a crush on this guy, TJ. And so a week later, he asked me out on a date. We went out on a date and within a month, he decided he was going to move back to LA to be with me. And we've been together ever since. Okay. So that was it. Yeah. So you were, you spent the initial years in LA, but you actually met in Chicago. I love that. Okay. All right. So he's your boyfriend at the time, the economy's in the dumper. And then what happens? So he got laid off from his job and like, we knew we wanted to come back to Chicago and it just seemed like there was no end in sight for like the job market picking up. We didn't really have a ton of connections in LA. And even though I had a decent job, it was not really enough to support us. So we decided like this is a good clean cut for us to come back to Chicago. And when we moved back to Chicago, I said to myself, like, you have one year, like you have one year to make photography happen. You know, I had like a bartending job that I worked like one or two shifts on the side. I'm like, you're not working more than that. You're not getting distracted. Like that money can pay your rent. And then everything that you make from photography, you're going to reinvest it into the business and you're going to try to grow the business. So again, I got real scrappy. I came here. I had to like start from the bottom, but this is what, this is what I wanted. Like this was I loved my marketing jobs. They made me so happy. But when I would come home for a photo shoot, like adrenaline would be like running through my body. Mm -hmm. Like this was like what I wanted more than anything in life. Like I just, it's what made me the happiest. So I was like, you have one year to make this happen. If you can't make a living off doing this, then like it's time to go back to marketing. So I, I worked my ass off that first year doing whatever. I took any job. I just networked networked any way that I could just to get my name out there. I did styled shoots to kind of create the style that I wanted to be shooting. And the second year that I was in Chicago, I landed a big celebrity wedding. And that wedding ended up- Whose wedding? um, Kyle Busch's wedding. And it ended up in People Magazine? It was in People Magazine. I shot a Women's World cover for his wife. They did a show on the Style Network. And it wasn't like 
people NASCAR ever, wedding was there yeah. were there cars involved I'm trying no, to imagine it was not, no it was Sarah it was very classy they did have like um a sponsored candy bar by like M&M's because that's obviously yeah. what we was racing for but no it was like Would she have like different sponsors all over the dress that'd be a great way yeah, to make some totally. extra cash for the wedding yeah her her dancing dress was yeah. just a jumpsuit <laughs> um no so it was Nobody like hired me because I shot that wedding, but it just gave me a lot of credibility and it was, you know, it just credibility and exposure. And I had then a lot of high-end wedding planners that came to me because if I could keep them happy and they love their pictures, then they knew that I could do a good job with their clients. So that just kind of like skyrocketed my career at that point after that, that wedding. So you get this big wedding and things are going great and this is your career. Um, you're you're doing family photo shoots and weddings and all sorts of stuff. And um, how long after that did you did you get your diagnosis? So that was 2010. I got my diagnosis in 2013. Um, yeah, 2013. So I had just gotten married in t- October 2012. And then I was starting my wedding season, like in Chicago, the season's really like, it's not year round like it is in other places because of the weather. So it really is like May to November. And I got it right before wedding season started. So let's talk about it. Why did you go in to uh, see a doctor or was it a routine checkup? How did this end up in your lap? So I feel like you can appreciate this, Sarah, because you're tall, but I feel like tall girls always get a bad rep for being like clumsy or like, <laughs> like not graceful. And I always prided myself on being like having it together, being a tall girl. And I just started noticing I was like bumping into things or I wasn't seeing things. I was knocking things over and it just didn't feel right to me. Or like the worst would be, I would be at the grocery store with like my little grocery cart and I would turn and I'd be like, ah, like, where did you come from? Like there'd be, you know, like I'd bump into someone or someone would be right there when I didn't see them. So I just, I wear contacts. I went into lens crafters for like my normal eye exam and they do a peripheral test and it's like an upcharge. You have to pay for it. And I, I did the peripheral test and I had my contacts out and she starts like holding numbers out in my peripheral and I couldn't see anything. And she's like, no, I think it's fine. You just don't have your contacts in. And Mm. I had to kind of fight for like, no, I paid for this exam. Like I know there's something off. Wow. Hmm. Can you like, can you, I'll put my contacts in. Can you try this again? And so she's like, okay, that's fine. And I put my contacts in and she's flashing numbers. And I'm like, I don't even see your hands right now. Like, let alone how many numbers you're holding up. So then it was like, I could see kind of like alarm go off in her head. And she's like, well, you need to get a specialist right away. But you didn't notice it in everyday life other than the clumsiness. It wasn't something where you could tell that you were missing out or not seeing things right until there was a very focused approach to what you were supposed to be seeing. Well, so like what this disease is, is it's a like a loss of peripheral vision. So it just keeps coming in as tunnel vision. So it's not uh. like, this is something that I've had since a child. Um, well, since I was born, but it's not something like I woke up one day with this. It's degenerative. So you've just never so. known that people, that it was any different, but it's getting worse. Yeah. So the way that they described it is like, 
this disease is um, attacking my rods and cones. And everybody has, the way they describe it to me is they ha- that everybody has spare rods and cones built into their body. So even though my body was degenerating these my entire life, I didn't get into my like quote unquote reserves until I was probably like in my late twenties or thirties. Okay. So all of my childhood, it was degenerating, but I didn't notice it because it wasn't something that I actually needed. I didn't need those extra rods and cones to see. Got it. Okay. So she looks alarmed as you're not seeing what you're supposed to. Right. And so she sent me to one specialist. Um, He kind of looked around, didn't really know what it was. I could see, like, I knew he knew something was up. He had like a couple other people come look and I could see in his eyes, like, a little bit of pity. And he I could mm. tell he didn't want to tell me, or maybe he wasn't in the position to tell me, but he sent me on to someone else. And then the, uh, the next guy that I went into basically said to me, like, you have retinitis pigmentosa. I, I can't do the test, but I know that this is what you have. You're losing your vision. You could potentially go blind. I don't want you to go on the internet because it's not going to do any justice, but I don't. First thing you do, go on the internet. (laughs) Obviously, obviously. But he was like, I don't want you to curl up and die or give up on life. And I'm like, oh "Oh, my God. He literally, my husband was sitting next to me and we both like to this day, we're like, what was that? Like, this guy needs to go back to like bedside training, like manner training 101. So within like, I don't know, a minute, that's what I was handed. And I feel like in movies, when you like get, you see people that get this like jarring news and they just kind of like stare and everything's just like blurry around them. And you just hear like words that are, you don't even know what's being said. Like, I feel like that was what happened to me in that moment. Like just shock. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. So not the greatest bedside, something we referred to earlier, maybe trying to be helpful, but not doing it, doing it well. Um, So this, of course, I'm sure sends you on a journey to understand. And and it turns out that the retinitis pigmentosa was um, a a symptom or a side part of a larger diagnosis. Yeah. So then I did end up going to some wonderful, wonderful doctors and they, they took blood work from each of my parents and then blood work from me. And it took them over two years to find the actual genetic mutation. But what they found out is that I have Usher's 2A. So Usher's 2A is, um, causes retinitis pigmentosa, which is my eye loss. And then I should have had hearing loss since birth. And in some people it just doesn't onset. And so like, I mean, I'm so, they're like, you will never, since it hasn't affected you at this point, it's nothing that will ever affect you. Oh, thank goodness. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, that's a blessing I got to count for sure. Um, But yeah, they, so they were able to kind of pinpoint it, which even that I'm so grateful for because there's so many mutations of these genes that some people like, They've been trying for like 10, 15 years and they can't even figure out what the mutation is. So for me to even have that information, I'm very lucky. So Usher syndrome is a genetic disease. And like you mentioned, the majority of people 
eventually will get total hearing loss that will start as a child and be degenerative and vision loss that worsens over time, but rarely becomes full blindness, um, but does, you know, um, affect all sorts of stuff. And as you're reading about it, you're learning about, you know, night vision going first, Mm -hmm. tunnel vision being an issue. What did they tell you was most likely to happen once you notice that it had started to degenerate, which mean that, that those, that those rods and cones are, are running out of, you're running out of supply. So, um, like night blindness is the first thing that happens and then it does, it is a peripheral vision. So it will keep coming in until tunnel vision. It should never be that I can't see anything like worst case scenario. It would be like looking through a straw, but Oof. every single person's different. Like some people, have that degree of vision loss when they're 15. And some people can live until they're 80 with a much more significant amount of vision. Yeah. Um, So it's just, and even within my diagnosis, it's not consistent. My loss is not like, there's not a trajectory at all consistent for this loss. It kind of ebbs and flows when I have these losses. So, So there's no cure for it. What do they tell you you can do, if anything, to slow it down or to affect your vision? So there's absolutely nothing I can do. Like there's no like, no surgeries, no medicine, no vitamins. Not There's nothing that will change the outcome of this. They did probably about four years ago, they did take a skin punch of mine to start cultivating stem cells. So, you know, whenever I go to the doctor, they're kind of vague about there's no timeline. They feel like within my lifetime, there should be some sort of cure, whether that's through stem cell or genetic therapy, gene therapy. Um, But there's really like no timeframe for that. And the tricky thing is because of all of the different mutations, they're all different like treatments. Yeah. So So and my exact thing. Right. And like with Usher syndrome, it's like 16,000 people in the United States have it. So it's not like something that there's like a ton of funding going towards and there's a ton of, you know, need for this. There's, you know, there's not a lot of money being dumped into this research. So, um, and it's not something that anyone in your family, it's genetic, but you hadn't heard of someone having it before. No. So it was recessive in both of my parents, one in 8,000 chance for each of them being a carrier and one in four chance of them passing it on to me. Wow. So I like joke that it's like, you're lucky. (laughs) It's like the reverse genetic reverse lottery. Yeah. Lottery. Yeah. Like you're welcome for the height and being really (laughs) trim and having a hot bod. Sorry about the other. Sorry about the eyes. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Okay, so you get this news, and at the time, 
you, of course, are, you know, the clumsiness and some of that is is bothersome, but you're mostly living normal, right? Because you, you hadn't rushed in for an appointment. You've just, oh, I've noticed this and let me go see what's going on. How did you react to that diagnosis and and what were your initial fears? How did you cope right after you learned, not necessarily the ushers part that took a couple years, um, but the retinitis pigmentosa? Um, so obviously, like I... I was in shock. I cried for like nonstop for a day or two. I experienced, I think maybe the only time in my life where I had actual panic attacks. I remember the night, the night after I got diagnosed, I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning, like full, like hyperventilating because to me, this didn't mean just like going blind. It was like worst case scenario, like losing your business. I felt like I just baited my husband. Like I just got married and now he mm. has to deal with this. I didn't think that this was something that I would want to pass on to a child. So we had this dream of having a family and now like, did I mess that up? You know, if I can't drive, what does that mean? If I can't, you know, see, can I work? Like I am like, I am such an independent person. And one of the things I've always prided myself on was that you know, I was able to provide for my family as much as my husband. And that was always really important to me. And so it felt like everything was being taken away from me. And it felt like, you know, of course, I went to worst case scenario of all of these things. Um, So I had these like panic attacks in the middle of the night, just hyperventilating and did, I, I couldn't even really comprehend. And then, of course, I went on the internet and it says, by the age of 40, most people go legally blind. And at the mm. time, I was like 32. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, at 80, you're going to go blind. It was like, I, you know, this clock is ticking for me. Um, but I remember it was, so I got diagnosed on a Wednesday and I remember I was like up in the middle of the night going into Friday. And that Friday I had a wedding and it was a, it was going to be a beautiful wedding with a lovely couple. And I remember sitting there thinking like you, like right now you have two choices. Like you have the choice to sit here and feel sorry for yourself and feel sad and feel upset and feel like you're being slighted. Or you today is a good day and today you get to do what you love and you are so lucky to be doing that. And so you have the choice what you want to do with today and next week and next month. And it just was like a light switch went off in me because I'm like, I'm not a victim. I'm not going to sit here like this sucks. This for sure sucks, but this is what I'm dealt right now. And I am the only one that can change the way that I look at this and what I do with what's happening to me. It's interesting how people always say that about these pivot moments in life and how it's so hard to recreate them right? Because uh, pivot moments often are the reason that people make grand decisions. Um, right. they, they lose a ton of weight. They decide to take a trip around the world. You know, they, they, they allow themselves to fall in love, whatever it is, right? There's something that's been holding them back. Um, but they're, they're organic. You usually right. can't create this lightning strike without something sometimes very positive, like, I don't know, winning the lottery or something, although that's really not always positive, as it <laughs> turns out, for most people who win. But usually it's something negative that changes your perspective. And try as we might to listen when people tell us to say, like, live every moment, you never know. Yeah. It's really hard to do without, you know, this this thing that pushes you into seeing it that way. So that's an incredible perspective to have. And it's 
really the only one to have, to take advantage right. of the time that you have and to hope for the best and, and deal with whatever comes next when you get it, when it mm -hmm. comes, because you can't control that. Um, and I wonder, you know, you talked about your marriage. And I, I think that's such a scary part. The idea that you not only when you're married have whatever happens to you for yourself, but it, it really happens to your partner. And so what did, what did TJ say, or what did you talk about together about what life would look like 20, 30 years down the road if you needed assistance? And if, if life was, was tough with the vision that you had left? I mean, he is, he is just like the best. He, from the beginning, mm -hmm. just was so supportive and was like, I'm here for you. I'm your rock. I will never like abandon you. I will never leave. I, I love you and we will get through this together. And that's what he, he always, and you know, Sarah, we're, we like to joke about shitty situations. So like one of the first things he said is, well, we can make Lucy a seeing blind, like a seeing eye dog. <laughs> like my dog was like 12 pounds, like a little fluffy dog and dumb as bricks, like the sweetest thing, but like she wasn't going to help me do anything. So like, that's just how we kind of- That's like, definitely <laughs> you guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what can you do? You got to laugh, right? So, I mean, we just, we- you know, we just took it like one day at a time. And like, there are small adjustments that we've had to make along the way. But the first thing he said to me really was like, let's sell everything. Let's travel and see the world. And mm. we, it wasn't, we didn't need to do that right then and there. Like I was able to keep my business, which was something that was so important to me, you know, for, for years after that. And then when the time came where I knew I needed to say goodbye, then we went back to that, like, okay, now's the time that we should go out there and see the world and do yeah, So that. let's talk about that. You first, you decided that you did want to have kids. Um, and your daughter is like, not real life. She is, she, I mean, first of all, she has a, a better, thicker head of hair than I've ever had in my whole life. And she's had it since like six months old. Um, like she looks like yeah. a little supermodel. She's oh, like just so a little doll brought to life. Um, so tell us about that decision and when you decided to go for it. So we, um, when I talked to my doctor, because even though I had this gene, like I had this happen to me, it still would have been recessive and TG would have had to be a carrier to pass it on to her. And so when they initially told me, so when, when I talked to them and I got pregnant at that point, I only had the retinitis pigmentosa diagnosis. So at that point they said, Oh, it's less than a quarter of chance of passing this on. Wow. And I said to them, okay, so if she does get it, it would be like the same or more mild than my case. And they said, yes. So in my mind, I was like, well, I didn't really see the effects of this until I was 30. Hopefully in 30 years, they have a cure. You know, I think this is something like, and we're aware of it. So I think this is something that we're okay with. We had to go through IVF to get her. Fast forward, I'm pregnant. She's like, I don't know, I'm like four or five months pregnant. And that's when they called me and said, okay, you actually have ushers too. And oh if boy. she has this, she will be born with severe hearing loss. So mm. in some ways, I don't, I don't know, maybe it was a blessing that we didn't know that. I don't know that it would have changed us going through everything to get her, but I, I don't know. I can't really say because that is a way different situation to me yeah. than what I initially thought. 
So when we, when she was born and they took her to do the hearing test and they came back and she was fine. It was just like such a like relief for us to know that, you know, she seemingly would be unaffected by this disease. Yeah. I mean, and that's scary because there's enough around childbirth that you're just like, is everything okay? How many fingers, how many toes? And then to have to wait and see if that was something that was going to be a part of it too. So scary. Okay. So she's, she's good. She's great. She's got a full head of hair. Uh, She's basically (laughs) doing, you know, she's doing shampoo commercials right out of the womb. Um, so, but but most of the time between this diagnosis in 20, um, 2013 and then February of 2020, it, it seemed like you had mostly kept it private, maybe with just close family, right? Yeah, because I didn't like, I didn't want it to affect my business. I didn't even, even once I announced, so I knew in 2019, I knew 2019 was going to be my last season doing weddings. Like 2018, towards the end, I, just started having anxiety when I was going into these like low light receptions and people are drunk and dancing and I'm not seeing, you know, my work was, you noticed, you noticed noticed that it was not the same. There was one incident where I was like, we were doing the first dance was happening and I set up and the planner couldn't find the videographer and they had to start the first dance. And I'm like in my spot and I didn't see him and he set up a camera right underneath me and I didn't see it. And I went to move and I knocked his camera over and I nearly tripped. And luckily I like caught myself and I didn't cause a scene. But you know, when I, when I do these things, regardless that it's caused by my eyes, it still makes me like feel embarrassed. And then it it makes me feel shameful. And I... Well, weddings are so stressful regardless of that because you don't get a second chance. Yeah. You know, the first dance happens once, the kiss happens once, the vows, you know, all of that. And those are moments that like, it's your job. It's so different than like any other kind of photography. And I knew I can, I can say like, with all of my heart that my, even to the end, 2019, my work was better year over year, but I didn't know how long I could promise that. And I was booking two years out and I was charging like $10,000 a wedding to shoot. Right. So I need to be delivering what I'm promising. And I didn't know how long I can do that. And so I wanted to leave this on top with integrity, knowing that I I deserved what I was charging and I was being honest about my capabilities. For sure. And, but there's still something. So when I came out in 2000, I think the end of 2019, so we had planned to go on this trip, um, April or May, 2020. When I came out at the end of 2019, I was so scared of what people were going to say. I was nervous that people were going to say, like, shame on you. You shouldn't have been doing photography. Wow. Like, you weren't being honest. Like, that. that's why I held wow. it for so long. And I thought maybe you didn't want people in your life to to treat you differently or for the time that you had that wasn't affected to have it be any different than anybody else's because they knew somehow. No, I, I didn't. I've never really felt that I, I don't think like in, I don't think people in my life ever treat me like a victim. It was just like, I also don't want to be treated like a victim. I don't want people to feel sorry for me. It doesn't do any good for me. It actually like when people feel happy that I 
I'm living a good life. It makes me feel happy and empowered. But when people like there's sometimes people I tell them my story and they'll like start crying. And I'm like, I appreciate that you feel for me, but it makes me feel like, do you feel sorry for me? Do you do you see something that I don't? Because even though right. I have this, I have a beautiful life and I know that I have a beautiful life. So when people feel sorry for me, it's like what are you seeing that I'm not that you mm. have to feel bad for me right now? No pun so intended. I, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> so I just, I don't know. I just, and it's, I, I just want to live my life. I don't, I, I don't, yeah, I, I just. You don't want to make it about this any more than it has to be. Exactly. We'll get right back to the interview. But first, what is your favorite word? I say shit a lot. Shit. 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 I say it regularly. I say it without thought. My brain is hardwired to react to most drops, spills, trips, and otherwise with an immediate shit. In fact, if I'm anywhere near the kitchen and I say shit, my dogs immediately come racing in because there's a good chance there's something edible on the floor. It is a truly Pavlov's dog situation, but instead of a bell, it's me saying shit and then realizing that I've spilled or dropped some sort of food substance. Um, it turns out the etymology of shit is graphic and very literal. So shit is from the Old English sitan from Proto-Germanic skit, which has the root S-K-E-I, to cut or split. So the notion is of separation of from the body. Ew. I'm now just thinking about cutting turds. <laughs> uh, okay, but shit is a great word. Very useful. Speaking of great words. You're going to learn today. The word of the week is actually a few words of the week this week. I was inspired again by a great source for magical words, the British lexicographer, etymologist, and author Susie Dent. Uh, she's amazing. Follow her on Twitter. She has tons of incredible, rare, unused, uh, lost words uh, that are so fun. But last year, around this time on Twitter, she pointed out that a lot of the positive opposites of words have been dropped out of use, but we kept all the negatives. So in the past, you could be not just reckless, but wreckful consider it. You could be not just feckless, but feckful, responsible, not ruthless, but also ruthful, compassionate, not inept, but also ept, adroit. And definitely not everyone was disgruntled all the time. Plenty of folks were gruntled. And frankly, I would love to have someone ask me in the year 2022, how are you? And be able to say gruntled. Thank you. And honestly, doesn't it say something about us as humans that we hung on to all the negative versions and let the positives fade away? I know research tells us that humans are hardwired to focus more on negative than positive. It was useful for evolution. In human history, you know, paying attention to bad things, to negative threats in the world was literally a matter of life and death. And if you were more aware of danger, you were more likely to survive. So you pass that on. Still very necessary at times. But as I often talk about on this pod, the more positive grateful and optimistic you are, the more you train your brain for more of that. So let's not let all the positives fade away. Let's bring back the positives. Let's bring back gruntled. Okay, in a sentence. After a convivial but feckful New Year's Eve with genial and wreckful friends, Sarah went home feeling gruntled, despite what was sure to be another strange year ahead. Now let's get back to the interview. So you're you're making the announcement at the end of 2019, and, and your biggest concern is you know people reacting in, in terms of your business. But you also then you make the announcement that you're going to um, 
stop doing weddings soon um, and that you are planning this trip. And this is February of 2020 when we were all bright eyed and naive and looking forward to (laughs) all of the wonderful travels and adventures we had planned for the year. Yeah. So we, I spent, we made this decision almost two years prior because we had to save up a lot of money. We were going to rent out our house. My husband was going to quit his job. Um, I had to plan out a year of travel with a, you know, three-year-old at the time. Uh, Yeah, three-year-old. So it was, you know, it was a lot of work. And we, the real kicker is we actually rented out our condos pre-COVID to go Mm. on this trip. Mm. So then when COVID hit, not only did we, were we not able to take this trip, but we then became homeless because Mm. we didn't, you know, we had rented out our, our place to live Mm. on top of it. It's a good twist. Um, So what was the original plan? You, uh, TJ quits his job, you save some money, you rent out your place and the three of you, um, Mm -hmm. the idea was, and and that's the name of your Instagram account, um, Silver Linings Travel, is it? Or Silver Linings? Silver Lining Explorer. Silver Silver Lining Lining Explorer. Explorer. At Silver Lining Explorer. And you were going to tell the story of your your eyesight, your travels, your photography um, and see the world before mm-hmm. before your your vision was affected. Yeah. Um, what an incredible plan. What an amazing <laughs> reaction to the news that you got. Um, so what's the pivot when, when COVID hits? Um, so we, luckily we had a place to stay out in the suburbs. So we, we went there, just kind of hunkered down for a little bit. So on top of not having our trip, not having our house. I went from being like a full-time entrepreneur running my own business to a stay-at-home mom with a three-year-old that I need to keep occupied all the time. Mm. Um, so, you know, we just try to make the best of it. It was, and he had, you know. Did he get his job back, TJ, or did he not? So, okay. So, yes. he. So, his boss was so wonderful and understanding. He said, like, you can go on this trip. I understand why you guys are doing it. I, um, you know, we, we will hold a job for you. We can't put in writing, but like, we want you to come back to our company. So luckily he, his boss had asked him, I don't know, maybe like February for a resignation letter. And he just kind of kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And it was like COVID lands in China. And he's like, I'm going to put it off a little bit longer. And so he never formally resigned. And then obviously when he was like, Hey, like I'm not going. You can I stay employed. Obviously, they were so happy to have him. That's so great. we sat like worked out in our favor for sure. So we kind of just like hunkered down like everybody else. And then in September, so September 2020, we felt comfortable doing a road trip. So we went out to Colorado for a month and just literally almost every day went exploring, hiking. We went to so many towns. We drove to Utah. We did the sand dunes. We did everything while we were out there. And then we came back to Chicago and then we went to Florida for Thanksgiving. We come back to Chicago. We went to uh, Mexico and then came back. Ironically, while we were not traveling, we got COVID around Christmas last year, Um, which even that I think is kind of a blessing because we got it in Chicago where we were like able to feel safe having it and, you know, and not be stuck stuck anywhere. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, And then we knew that like we had natural immunity for 
some amount of time, right? And so then we went to, we spent January in Costa Rica. We came back and we were coming, kind of coming and going because we were doing fertility treatment in, in between these trips. And then if, you know, when it wouldn't work out, we would hit the road again and come back. So, um, and then we came back for a couple of weeks and then in April, we kind of started a big lot, like leg of what it's, it definitely wasn't our original trip, but it was a very make lemonade version of what we had planned to do. So we had gone back to Costa Rica and then we went down to Panama and Colombia. And when we were in Colombia, it was just, they were having a lot of like lockdowns and government protests. And so we had to kind of cut our trip short of what we were going to keep doing in South America. And we came back to Chicago and then we really launched our summer in Europe from that point. Um, And so, you know, one of the things that was really noticeable to me as you were documenting your adventures, first of all, you've, you've, completely mastered the drone and some of those shots are just unbelievable but um but that you needed to really be so flexible because like you mentioned you were in colombia and then like midway through the trip i think it was they were like all right everyone has to be inside by 5 p.m you're like wait what (laughs) or like you were like we're supposed to go to a country but now it's closed so i guess we'll go to a different country like that's wild that you were doing this travel like most people maybe are doing the one trip and hope that it doesn't get messed up but all of the bouncing around in different places just adds so much of an element of difficulty there yeah. like So we were in Colombia and we were at breakfast and we were like, oh, this restaurant's like so popular. Like there's a million people here. And then at like noon, it was like everyone was gone. So we're like, well, okay, we'll walk on the beach. And the police came up to us and they're like, oh, you don't know about the quarantine. You need to get back to your house right now from noon until 5 a.m. the next morning. And like, like this is like <laughs> Colombia, right? It's not like we're like, hey, Peapod, can you bring me some smart water and right. like some like honey crisp apples? So like <laughs> we were just like, okay, I guess we'll go sit in our tiny Airbnb until like 5 a.m. tomorrow. Like, And we're like trying to find anything online that talks about like, how long does this last? Like, what is this? What's going on? And again, three-year-old. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, so well then the next day we were smart and we're like, okay, so there's a Hilton that we can stay on property, use the, we just have to stay on property. Right. So we can use the pool and we can, so we worked, we worked the system when we had to. Um, but then like, we get out of quarantine that was just on the weekend. And then they're like, oh, there's major government protests and we're shutting down all the businesses today. So we're like, okay, this is, this is our like cue to get out of here. (laughs) But um, yeah, we just, we had to be flexible. When we went to Europe, we knew we were going to be there for three and a half months. Um, When we left, the only countries that were open were Croatia, Greece, and Turkey. So we spent a month in Croatia and that's all we had planned. Like I didn't know we were, we had hoped to go to Italy after Croatia and they opened three days before we went to Italy. (laughs) So everything was just kind of by the seat of our pants and it is what it is. And, you know, the thing is that we had this amazing, huge trip planned And then I thought that that was never going to happen. So the fact that we even got this was just like anything that we can do felt like the greatest opportunity. Yeah. 
So Yeah, um, that's so true. I mean, again, it's another change in perspective, um, which is so necessary anytime, but especially during COVID the last two years now, um, right, is, is, you know, the idea of just, I remember in March, um, we went to Arizona for a couple days, and it was the first time I was eating breakfast with my friend at a table inside. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh my God, we're indoors <laughs> together, because uh, we had been vaccinated, and we had tested, and I'd only been indoors with my husband for like months. And I was just like, oh my God, we're eating breakfast. It's, it's amazing. Things, right? yeah. And that's it like so you special. said, like <laughs> what you had mentioned before, Sarah, and saying like, we need these like huge, like traumatic things to happen sometimes, but like we all are in this pandemic together. And if this doesn't shake people awake, I don't know what will, you know, like it's time to appreciate those small things and have gratitude for seeing people or, you know, like I remember when TG and I, like the first time we were able to go back to gym class, we were like, oh my God, this is the greatest (laughs) thing. It's just like, you know, these things aren't, we take them for granted and nothing's promised, nothing's guaranteed. So it's just, we all should be in this position of just having, you know, searching for these silver linings and, and any amount of gratitude that we possibly can. How is your vision now? Um, so I, I'm actually supposed to go to the doctor. I go to the doctor every two years because it is slow progressing and there's nothing they can do. And like the testing is very intensive. So I don't know. We'll see what they say. I I feel like I, you know, I have noticed a change since the last time I've gone. Um, but you know, I'm still I still see well. My night vision's a little bit rough. So the last time I went to the doctor, just to kind of put things in perspective, a normal person's vision is 180 degrees, give or take. My day vision is 90 degrees, um, so about half. But my night vision is 25 degrees. Um, so um. anytime you start going into like lower light, it's just going to keep coming in and in. So, you know, twilight's a little bit tough for me nighttime, but the nice thing about living in Chicago is because of all the ambient light, the lights, the street lights, the cars, the apartments, my eyes don't read that as right, dark. Right. You're screwed if you go camping. <laughs> yes. Or like, even when I go, like, I can't really drive in the suburbs. Like I can barely oh, I walk in the suburbs with like the tiny puny little oh, street wow. light, like lamp out in like the end of the driveway. Like that doesn't cut it for me. So, so like a photographer, if you're in portrait mode on the iPhone and then you keep moving it to the right, eventually it like gets smaller and smaller and then everything around the subject is black instead of the background you shot in. Is that kind of what it looks like to you? But not a circle, maybe just not out on the sides. Um. So like you're saying like in portrait mode when the, the center is in focus and everything else is Yeah, there. like if you scroll to the right and it's got like, it gives you the options of like stage light or whatever. And you can keep scrolling until all the background behind the people you shot is gone and it's just them with black behind it. Do, does it look sort of like that little circle in the middle is all you see or is it just... It yeah, gets fuzzy on the sides. Yeah. So the very outsides where it's gone is just like black. There's nothing there. But like I, because it's degenerative, it's like... I get like flashers and I get kind of like the pulsing almost in the inner. Um, So, but my central vision is perfect and my eyes themselves are very healthy. So, um, you know, I just, the pulsing and stuff, is that, is that 
painful? Does it give you headaches? Or Yeah, sometimes it gives me headaches. And I feel like more so than that, I think that what gives me headaches is like everything for a person like me is more difficult, right? Like if I'm walking through a grocery store, I have to, every second I have to be scanning. So I can't just look forward. I have to be scanning to see my surroundings. If I want to cross the street, I have to make sure, not even cross the street. If I'm walking, I have to constantly be scanning. I walk a lot slower. I, you know, I can't, I can't zoom around people. I can't dodge and weave through people. So all of my thoughts are like, even for me just to do a simple task of walking somewhere is like, is there anyone around? Is there anyone coming? Is there anyone hidden in your peripheral? Is somebody below you like lower that you can't see? Yeah. And that doesn't really help when I'm six feet tall. I was going to say you're already tall enough. Everything's below me as it is. Shins and like right above the knee is just bruised at all times from like running into tables and shit. (laughs) I have like my bruise and my poor dog that got like, you know, stepped on all the time. Yeah, but, you're going to need to invest in like a St. Bernard next yeah. time or a, like a Great Dane. These yes. little dogs aren't going to cut. Yeah, no. I have enough trouble with the little ones with like good <laughs> good vision. Um, so what's what's next? Are, are there more travels planned? Um, are you hoping eventually with, with COVID gone, you'll, you'll do that big around the world full year or has everything sort of changed? I, I don't know that that trip will ever happen in the way that it is was meant to be. And to be honest, I think that traveling the way that we did was great. Like, I don't know that I could have traveled one year without a break. I think in my head I could, but just from the traveling that we did, it was always nice to go. Like, I think our sweet spot would be like three months traveling a month home because just living out of packing cubes and always planning and always just kind of took a toll on me. But, um, and then with my daughter starting school, I don't know. I would never say never, but we're just kind of adapting to what life is right now. So we're hoping to spend a lot of time traveling over the next, um, the next year, obviously everything's day to day because COVID is prevalent again. And we don't yeah. know who's going to let us in and who's not. So we yeah. just kind of have to be flexible. We're supposed to go to Costa Rica January 1st for like two weeks. That's like my happy place, my healing place. Um, and we're hoping that happens. And then we have some tentative big trips, you know, throughout the year. Um, I want to keep traveling. I want to keep documenting. I want to keep creating artwork. Like you mentioned, you know, some of these photos that I'm creating through drones are just like, it's just such a beautiful creative outlet for me. So um, that one, um, I don't even know, like a crater or something oh my God. that you weren't even allowed to go to. And then you swam to the middle <laughs> and you took a picture of yourself <laughs> using the drone while you're making like almost oh like a snow God. angel pose in the middle of like where it was in Croatia. Yeah, it was in Croatia. And that looks like, like a geode. Almost. It is like amazing. It, it was so amazing. That water was the coldest water I have ever <laughs> felt in my entire life. And I like that's one of my favorite stories of our entire trip. And I just it was so beautiful. And and, and so amazing. Um, but it also, the entire time I was like, I'm certain a Megalodon is coming from the depths of this <laughs> eye and is going to swallow me up because that's what it looked like. It was crazy. But um, yeah, I would say like, I, I don't want to say a long term, but like maybe a three to five year goal. What I had hoped to do from 
the photos from this year long trip was I was really wanting to create a coffee table book with my images and just being able to share my story and to have um, some of the proceeds go to fighting blindness. And unfortunately, just because of not being able to travel as much as we had hoped, I don't have as much content as I would like for that book. Um, so now I'm kind of looking to scale that back. So I'm actually working on like an an NFT collection right now. That's going to be not just the images, but, um, some kind of mixed art, like graphics and digital art, um, just to kind of share my story too. And that's going to be dropping after the new year. And then I'm working with trying to get into some galleries right now. So, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of taking one day at a time and, you know, just seeing where, where this beautiful journey leads me. I love it. Um, before I let you go, there's, you know, people listening that hopefully have already taken away a lot from your perspective and how you've handled all of this. But is there anything that you, that sort of, um, crystallized over the last few years or over the travels recently, um, that, you really feel like, oh, I'm a different person now because of this thing I learned or this particular experience beyond just you know what what we know about how these these life pivots can make us be more grateful and appreciative. Is there anything else like what words of wisdom you would want to impart to people as we start this new year? I just think life is meant to be lived, and it is so beautiful and it is so fragile and it is so fleeting. And there, you know, I was just a normal person, and I walked in, and one day my life got flipped upside down. And that can happen to anyone. And not, not that I want this to be a cautionary tale, but I want people to just really understand like, you have one life, and it doesn't have to be like you need to be. Angelina Jolie, but whatever your dreams are, whether it's a hobby that you want to do, whether it's a place you want to travel, whether it's an instrument you want to learn, like don't wait on it. Like you don't know how much time you have or, you know, what your, what the future holds. So we all need to be doing the things that we want to be doing now because tomorrow's not promised. Yeah, it's so true. And again, so hard to artificially create that urgency, no matter how many people tell us to do it. But I do think that um, a lot of things have been shaken up by COVID that have allowed people to say, okay, I got to move now if I'm going to do it or quit this job or do this. Um, And hopefully um, for the positive for most people, those sort of looking at our lives and making decisions. Thanks so much for coming on, Robin. Thank you for having me. Great to talk to you. Everyone needs to follow your, your Instagram because your travels are incredible. Your photography you. is beautiful. Again, it's Silver Lining Explorer also, so everyone can be as jealous of your daughter, not just her travels, <laughs> but her wardrobe and her hair oh, and God, everything so else. Um, this was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's what she said. So impressed by Robin. I mean, she's my friend. I've already been impressed, but just having the chance to really sit down and talk to her um, and specifically about this, which is something we talked about a couple years ago, and I, I try not to bring it up too much anymore. Um, she's just the living example of the gratitude practices I always talk about on this pod, of finding the silver lining to everything, appreciating all the moments that she does get. Um, I love talking to her. I hope you guys got some great perspective out of that. No Spanish Inquisition from Robin because we have a special guest this week. Uh, I got the chance to talk to Hall of Fame quarterback Kurt Warner and his wife Brenda about their new movie, American Underdog. I'm sure you probably know the Kurt Warner story, but, you know, grocery store, 
worker to Arena League to Super Bowl winner, um, the incredible family struggles that he and his wife battled along the way. Um, unfortunately, the beginning of the interview, the audio file had issues, um, so our full chat didn't make it. Uh, but the Spanish Inquisition... Not perfect audio, but we got it. We got it for you. Um, but before that, we talked about his nerves, about how the movie will be uh, received. And he said, you know, very different from football. He knew he could control a football game, but the movie's done. It's out. And now he doesn't get to control it. Um, and as I said to him, you know, in, in football, he gets to help decide the score for the movie Rotten Tomatoes, the only score. And, and that's not up to him. Um, they also talked about what was important to them in, in executive decisions, how much was truly real, how much was able to be fibbed a little for the sake of, of movies. And Brenda said it was really important to them to get the story of their son right and for an actor with disabilities to play him. And Kurt said the most important part of Zach Levi's portrayal of him wasn't, you know, mannerisms or speech patterns or anything like that, but it was that he could throw a football. And Kurt very wisely said, in a sports movie, you will lose your sports people if you don't get the sports part right. But thankfully, he said, uh, he said Zach can, can sling the pill. Uh, American Underdog is in theaters now. Go check it out. Here is Kurt Warner's Spanish Inquisition. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. The Spanish Inquisition is part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition. Number one, Kurt, your current career as a movie star is canceled. What do you do instead? I'm not a movie star, but, um, you know, somehow I fall back on football. But Perfect. That's what I do. Never too late to start again. Uh, number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Ah, uh, the most scared I've ever been. Um, I think it's always when something happens to your kids. When your kids get into an accident or something, that to me is always my greatest fear. You could be the best at anything in the world for one day. What is it? Well, I only get one day. Yeah. If it's one day, I'm, I'm singing. Perfect. I just wanted to be a, a great singer. And, and as she You're says, not. I can't sing. So that would be my thing. <laughs> Number four, what current celebrity from music, politics, TV, whatever, would you most want to be your best friend? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, I, I always tell my wife in, in the movies that I think me and Hugh Jackman would be great friends. Uh, nice. I don't know what it is about him, but he's got you know some this awesome personality that I think I think we would be best friends. What's the most meaningless pet peeve that you have? About someone else? About anybody? Or, about anything anyone does? Anyone uh, other than the me. most meaningless <laughs> thing is I hate when people leave the milk out. I mm. keep my milk warm, so I hate when people leave it on the counter. Number six. What's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Um, actually, probably the most embarrassed I've ever been is, and you actually will see it in the movie. There was a scene when I was at an NFL training camp that I did something that to this day still embarrasses me that, <laughs> that I did, but you got to go watch the movie to see. Oh, nice tease. Number seven, what's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Um, patience, probably. At this stage in my life, being more patient with where my kids are in life and, um, with all the busyness of life, to be able to slow down and, and be a little more patient. Number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play your next party. Who is it? Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, any musician. I don't, man, there's so many great musicians. <laughs> Who do I got? I don't know. Uh, Kane Brown. Not a huge. Chris Stapleton. That's who my wife would like. Uh, Perfect. I would probably go back, and I don't know, anything from the Beatles. Um, Prince would be awesome. Oh, yeah. 
Just a, just a variety. I, I think depending on the kind of party that you want. To very true. Very true. Almost done. Number nine. What's your biggest failure? Huh. Biggest failure. Not uh, winning Dancing with the Stars. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that that's that's definitely not it. Um, <laughs> man, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I after you go through life, I think oftentimes you just look at it and go, things that you might have thought were failures at one time shaped you to become and allow you to have the successes that you have. So, I mean, yeah. I don't I don't know the answer to that. That's what a lot of successful people say, and I think it's the key to a lot of success, is as long as you yeah. learn from it, that you don't consider it a failure. All right, last one. What three individual words would you most hope people would use to describe you? Character, integrity, and faithful. Wow, not even a good football player. Those are good answers. Hey, this this was an impressive speed round. You really got it in. Thank you guys so much, and good luck with the movie. Thank Thank you you. very much. Appreciate it. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. This is a place for me to rant or rave about something, tell you what to read, watch, listen to. Sometimes just a great story. I've got whatever's on my mind. Today, my mind is on the giant pile of Christmas cards on my table. Lovely photos, nice sentiments, great surprise in the mail each time I get one. Except for the cards that inexplicably add an apostrophe to their last name when trying to make it plural. If you're a Jordan, your family is the Jordans, J-O-R-D-A-N-S, not the Jordans, J-O-R-D-A-N apostrophe S. That would make it possessive. The Jordans what? Now, listen, it's very easy. If your name ends in most letters of the alphabet, you just add an S, no apostrophe, and you're good. The Jordans, the Paytons, the Ditkas, the Rizzos, the Bryants, easy peasy. If your name ends in S, Z, C-H, S-H, or X, you add an E-S to your last name to make it plural. Still no apostrophe. So, the Taveses, the Butkuses, the Bankses, the Sayerses. Now, I realize some of those sound weird. Sayerses? That's weird. Just keep it singular and add family instead. The Sayers family, the Butkus family, the Banks family. I don't care if your family's just you. You're still a family. I'll buy your lonesome. You're still a family. Okay? You get the picture. Just remember, never, ever an apostrophe. An apostrophe never, ever makes something plural. Okay. And by the way, I hope you're listening, producer Dan Stanzik, whose lovely and, and very nice card that arrived at my door is from the Stanziks apostrophe s the stanzix what dan also i ask you please go follow silver lining explorer on instagram and go enjoy robin's gorgeous photos her cutie patootie husband her daughter's incredible head of hair her daughter's joyful dancing all over europe um and as you scroll through the incredible photos that that caldera drone pick in croatia mountains in italy beaches in costa rica these giant expansive outlooks in turkey um think about if someone told you one day you wouldn't be able to see them that your time to explore and see and take in um everything incredible and beautiful about our world was even more limited than just the timeline of your life. Um, just, just the end of your life wasn't necessarily um, even the end of your ability to experience and appreciate all those things. So maybe you'll appreciate them even more. Go out and do the things, see the places you've dreamed of. Um, so yeah, go follow Silver Lining Explorer and let Robin show you the world uh, through her eyes right now and, and take on her perspective.
You can always tweet me at Sarah Spain. If you got guest suggestions, questions, dilemmas, uh, you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe or follow. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. Rate it five stars, please, uh, and give me a review. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs>